Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. Uh, Guys, today we are continuing our series on the book of Colossians, and today we're getting into Colossians chapter 3. And if you don't learn anything else from this series, you will learn what the theme is, what the big idea for the book of Colossians is. And that theme is the supremacy of Christ, that there is no one equal to and there's no one above Christ, that he is all-powerful, he is able, and for us as believers, this should bring us comfort because no matter what we're going through, no matter what we might be dealing with, we can find comfort in the fact that our God is bigger than any problem we're dealing with, any valley we're walking through, that he is good and he is able to take care of, of us through these situations. So I just want to remind you, this is the theme that, that Paul was trying to, to drive home to the church at Colossae. So as we get into chapter three, it says this in verse one. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Now what he's talking about, if you've been raised with Christ, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, that we are one with Christ in his suffering and his death and his resurrection, and this is what baptism represents, that baptism, as we are immersed in water, we're dunked in water, it represents us dying and us being buried and then us being resurrected with Christ. Uh, And so what Paul is saying is, if you are a believer in Christ, if you've been resurrected in Christ, then you have to understand that there's there's a perspective we need to have, that we seek things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. We seek heavenly things and not just earthly things. Um, And and when you hear the word seek, one of the first things I think of is uh, hide and seek. And my girls used to love to play hide and seek, and they were the worst hiders in the world. So it didn't take very long to seek them, right? Um, And, you know, they'd be hiding under a blanket in the middle of the floor and be like, I think I found, right? This is what I think of sometimes when I think of seek. Uh, And it does have an implication of of viewing, of looking for something. Uh, But it's got a, a deeper meaning than that in the Greek. In the Greek, it also means to demand something from someone. You well, how does that reconcile with to seek? Um, another definition has this to crave. And as I thought about it, I thought this makes a lot of sense, to be perfectly honest with you, because uh, how many of you have ever, um, maybe you've gotten ready for bed when it's 10 o'clock, 10.30, 11 o'clock at night, and you find yourself in the kitchen? You know where this is going, don't you? You open up the pantry, you're looking through the shelves, you are looking for something, you're seeking something, right? And you might not even know what you want, but you're like, I'm just, I'm I'm hungry, I don't know what I want, I'm I'm craving something, have you ever said that? And what happens? If you're anything like me, um, I've got a weakness for Reese's peanut butter cup cereal, the puffs, you know, does anybody know what I'm talking about? It's like crack cocaine, I don't know what it is. It's so good. And I can't eat like, we've got the little kitty bowls. I can't eat like a little kitty bowl or a normal bowl. I want to eat like a punch bowl of like the whole box. Because then I can say, well, it was only a bowl. I only eat one bowl of cereal. But I want to eat the whole thing. There's something about it. I just, I have a craving, right? And this is what happens in us. Our bodies are demanding something. I want sugar and I want it now, right? And then we have this craving. We go, okay. Well, I'm gonna, I got to fix this. So what am I going to do? I'm going to start seeking out something to fix the problem. I'm going to seek out something that will, um, that will ease my cravings, that will cause my body to say, okay, I've gotten what I want. 
Uh, and this is what happens in our lives. This is what happens with something as simple as maybe a bowl of cereal before you go to bed or a bowl of ice cream, whatever it might be. But it also happens with sin as well. That there's something in us that demands you have to have this. And then we begin to crave it. Yeah, I do need that. And I want that. And we begin to seek it out. And before we know it, we've gone someplace we shouldn't gone. We've, we've had a conversation. We've talked to an old girlfriend or boyfriend online. We've, we've taken ourselves someplace we shouldn't have taken us. And it's simply because we didn't master our cravings. We didn't mind what we were seeking. And what Paul says is, not just don't crave bad things, because don't we hear that? I mean, gosh, it feels like that's all I heard growing up in church. Like, don't do bad things, right? Here's a list of all the bad things you don't do. But what Paul is saying is actually seek things that are above. So, so begin to crave. What if our hearts demanded spiritual things and heavenly things? And he said, this is the, the frame that we should live in, is that our hearts are, are yearning for, are craving things that are spiritual, things of God, instead of just simply things of this world. Because if we're all going to be honest, um, too many times my heart is craving things of this world rather than things of God. Verse 2 says this, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden in Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Um, now again, we've talked about this a little bit before, that we have died to sin, we have died uh, and if you've been around church, you've heard the phrase, you've been crucified with Christ, or I've been crucified with Christ. We take up our cross daily, and we understand this idea. And, and so what he's saying is, um, hey, you have died, and, and just like a body is buried in the ground, we have been buried in Christ. We have been consumed by Christ. And when Christ appears in his glory, that's where we'll receive glory as well. And it's not about our glory, but it's about saying, we don't even care about our glory, it's all about Christ. One of the things we see here, um, Paul talks in Galatians chapter 6, and I want to share this verse with you. It's in verse 14. He says, But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So again, we see this phrase, I've been crucified to the world, right? But, but one of the things we don't talk about often is, is this first part where he says, by which the world has been crucified to me. So what he's saying is, I am dead to the world, and the world is dead to me. Um, my, my oldest daughter, Abby, is 16 now. When she was little, I think it was before Emma was born. She might have, Emma might have been an infant. Uh, we were living in Austin, Texas, and this house we lived in, we had a, we had a, a countertop between the, the living room and the kitchen. And on that countertop, we had a fishbowl, and we had goldfish. And if you know anything about goldfish, you know that there's a reason they cost 10 cents a piece because they are not going to last you very long. You'll be lucky to make it home in that bag they're in, right? <laughs> and so every day, Abby and I, little Abby with her chubby little hands, she would drop food in, you know, we'd, and we'd feed. And one of the ways you kill goldfish quickly is if you feed them too much, right? <laughs> and so we would, we would, okay, here's how much we put in. And we'd put the goldfish food in and we'd watch. And, and I would find Abby you know, with her hands tucked and she would be sitting up on the counter with his elbows on the counter watching those fish eat their food. And one day I walked in and Abby was in that same pose and I came around and I saw the bowl and where there should have been water, it was actually filled with food. I think the food had replaced all the water, had dispersed it from, it was just a solid chunk of food in that. And Abby was watching and she thought, man, what a great day for these fish, right? 
they hit the jackpot, all the food they could eat. And uh, sure enough, I don't know how long it had been like that, but it had been, been long enough that her two fish, which again, this tells you how old Abby was at the time, she had named Dora and Boots. Uh, Dora and Boots perished that day in a horrible food accident in their bowl. So, <laughs> so I got the little net and I got the fish out and they were gone, gone. So I did what any loving dad who's also a pastor does. We had a funeral for Dora and Boots in the backyard. We dug a, like literally I took a spoon and it was like, Chink, and we dug a, and we put them in. And... <laughs> we'll never forget you, Dora and Boots. Like we had a moment there in our backyard. So we had this moment and, um, and that was it. We went about our business. I think we bought her another fish later and probably also as well. But, but this is the thing. We could have said, Dora and Boots, we're not going to forget you. We're going to keep you around. You know what? We're just going to leave you in the bowl because we don't want you to go. But if you know anything about fish, they start to stink, don't they? And this is what happens when we keep dead things around that shouldn't be around any longer. See, we keep things that are supposed to be dead in our lives and we wonder why our lives stink. Because what Paul says is, he says this, hey, I've been crucified to the world, so I am dead to the world. But then he says, but the world has been crucified to me. So what he's saying is the things of this world that, that, that we have a natural affection for, we've got to guard our hearts because this world is dead to me. And if the world truly is dead to me, then why do I continue to, to, to love things that God doesn't love and to value things that God doesn't value? And the answer is this, it's because I'm not dead to this world and this world is not dead to me. But this is the goal. This is what Christ desires for us, is that we will be focused on the things that God is focused on, that we will have a devotion for the things that God has a devotion for, that the things that, that Christ weeps over, we will weep over as well. But again, if, if we're going to be honest today, too many of us, me included, probably care more about what's going on in this world than what is happening in the spiritual and what Paul says is, seek that which is spiritual. Seek that which is above. Be more focused on the heavenly than we are on this world because, man, we focus a lot on this world. We worry a lot about this world. We care a lot about this world. And verse 5 says this, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. Let me start with the last verse first. He said, in these two you once walked. So, so I, I, it's almost like he's trying to, trying to get believers to look at others with a little bit of grace. Hey, it's easy to judge and go, oh, hey, look at all the things that these people do. But he says, you need to understand, you once walked in the same way they walk. You can criticize their path if you like, but you were on that path not too long ago. And this is what he's saying to us, that we, we're careful not to judge too quickly those that are involved or neck deep in something they shouldn't be in, that we love them through that. This is what he says in verse five, though. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, and this is not supposed to be an exhaustive list, by the way. So when you hear the list that I read a moment ago, you should not high-five yourself because you're like, he didn't mention my thing, right? Because this is not an exhaustive list of all the stuff we shouldn't do or be a part of. Uh, this is just generalities. But he does speak here 
into the lives of the people of his church. And this is what he says. He lists some sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, or I'm sorry, evil desire and covetousness, which he says is idolatry. Let me, let me start with the first one. And we won't spend a whole lot of time here, but and I'm not going to go through everyone individually. This word sexual impurity is interesting because in the world we live in today, uh, sexual impurity seems to be a subjective phrase. Because what is sexually impure for some is acceptable for others. And we live in a world that says, hey, you just let me do my thing. Don't judge me. Leave, you know, I'm our own person. We all have our own truth. And this is the thing. When we see the phrase sexual impurity here, what we have to understand is there is an objective truth. And it's not your truth and it's not my truth. It is the truth, the word of God. And so what Paul is talking to the Colossian church about is this objective standard that we say, here is what God calls for in our life. Here's God, what, God, what God calls us to in our lives. And if we don't, if we disregard what God has called us to, then we're living in rebellion to the word of God. So when he talks about sexual immorality, the, the word that's used there is a Greek word, it's porneia. And that might sound familiar to you. That's where we get the word today, pornography. Uh, and really what it means in a biblical context is any sexual contact outside of marriage. Any. So that, um, that relationship that you have with a coworker that you feel like is justified because your spouse is not good to you, well, according to Scripture, that's sexual immorality. Um, the, the person that you're in relationship with, that you say, well, we're not married, but we're in love. According to Scripture, sexual contact before marriage is sexual immorality. Right now, some of you are wondering why you came to church today, right? Um, looking lustfully at a woman, whether she is fully clothed or it happens to be an image on your computer, that's sexual immorality. And what we have to understand is all of these things will pull our affection away from Christ. All of these things will divert attention from Christ to ourselves. And, and this is what you have to understand. Um, my youngest daughter, Emma, she has such a tender heart that sometimes when I, when I get onto her about something, she feels like, she feels like there's, a, there's a fracture in our relationship. And so I have to remind her, no, 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 daddy loves you like crazy, okay? Just because I'm correcting you doesn't mean I don't love you. In fact, I think parents that don't correct their kids don't love their kids. And so I said, I'm correcting you because I love you. And we've talked about this illustration before. GPS is trying to get you to your destination. You plug the destination into your GPS. And if you take a wrong turn, the GPS is going to tell you, hey, if you want to get to where you want to be, you need to do a U-turn. You need to take a right turn at the next, right? Because it's correcting. And this is what... This is what I do with my girls. And, and so when you hear this today, don't hear it from a judgmental heart or spirit. That's not what this is. I, I want to bring correction to you because if you want to get to where God wants you to be, uh, you might be on the wrong path. So I, I want you to hear my heart today. So if you're living with someone who's not your spouse, I'm not saying you're the worst person in the world. Uh, I'm not telling you you're horrible. What I'm telling you is you might not have realized you've deviated from God's best path for your life. And we want to help you correct we want to talk to you about that. We want to help you see truth. Um, if you're in an illicit relationship of any kind with somebody who's not your spouse, I want you to know something. 
Uh, I'm not going to heap condemnation and guilt on you. I want to help you. We want to restore your marriage. We want to help you get things right because that's the heart of God. So we want to correct you and help you get on the right path. So, so understand when we're talking about sexual immorality, I'm not trying to heap condemnation on you. If, if, you're, if you're in the clutches of sexual addiction of any kind, whether it's pornography or whatever it might be, we want to help you. Uh, there is hope for you. You don't have to live this way any longer. I want you to know that. So there is no guilt or shame in this place. We want to help you. Does that make sense? So we are here to help you through that. Um, if we move on, it says impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Uh, so this word for covetousness, it's, it's, um, the Greek word is uh, pleoexia, and what it means is it can be interpreted as greed or as covetousness. And when I was a kid and I learned the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not covet, I never really understood it. I just knew it's wanting something that somebody else has. And that's a good basic foundation. It's wanting something that's not ours, that doesn't belong to us, that God hasn't given us. Um, it's, it's thinking my life would be better if I had that house or that car or if I had that life or that spouse or whatever it is. Um, but it's interesting because I think a lot of us can relate to that. We live in a world that's typically dissatisfied, especially in the age of social media. We see so much stuff, and we see other people's vacations, and we see other people's houses, and we go, oh, well, my life would be better if, and that's covetousness. But the other way it's interpreted is greed, and this is the thing that's so interesting to me. Very few people will say they have a problem with greed. I've never had somebody come to me and confess greed before in my life, um, but but. What we do is we will mask it as other things. So we'll say things like, oh, I'm not greedy, I'm just thrifty. And what we're really doing is, because greed is the spirit of accumulation. I'm going to accumulate everything I have or everything I can because that's where my source is. That's where my strength is. And what this is saying is um, that this word that can be interpreted as covetousness or greed is, in fact, idolatry. So it's setting up someone or something else in place of God. And this is what greed does. Greed will come into our lives and say, you need more. So accumulate, acquire, get, do whatever you have to do, and we will accumulate and accumulate and accumulate. Maybe it's stuff. Maybe it's, it's money, whatever it is. But we feel like if I have more, then I'll be secure, then my life will be good, then I can take care of myself. And essentially what we've done is we've placed ourselves on the throne ahead of God. And we've said, I don't need God because I can take care of myself. I've got this. I've got enough. I've got plenty. And so this is what greed does in us when we become self-sufficient. We, we walk into this illusion that we are enough, that we don't need God, we don't need his help, that we absolutely do. Um, let me move on down to verse 8. Verse 8 says this, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouths. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, with, uh, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Uh, my teenage girls, I love them so much, 13 and 16, but they struggle in the area of putting clean clothes away. Is there anybody else who has teenagers that struggle in that area? Maybe you do. We're going to pray. We're going to have a special group of prayer partners. Um, but my girls, they will take the clean clothes, and my wife will fold them, or I will fold them, and sometimes they fold them, and they will put them on their floor in their bedroom. Usually they start on the bed, and then because they want to go to bed, they put them on the floor, and then that's where everything ends, right? Like, then they will just pull their clean clothes off the floor, and then they get messed up, and you're not sure if they're clean, and we end up washing clean clothes, which that is like my own personal hell. It's like washing clean clothes over and over. When you pull clothes out of the laundry that are folded, it's like, what? 
this is the dirty clothes, why are these folded? And it's like, oh. My biggest issue is just put them away, right? Like, your room is not that big. It's like we have to have a pack mule to get all your clothes to the, like just, you pick them up and you put them in the drawer, right? You put them away because they don't belong on the floor. And this is what Paul is saying to the church. He's saying, church, listen to me. All these things that we're talking about, let me, let me read this list again. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk, Don't lie to one another. He said, these are things that don't belong in the hearts of believers. They don't belong in the mouths of believers. So put that stuff where it belongs. Where does it belong? Away, right? It doesn't belong anywhere near us. So what do we do? We put it away. We put it where it belongs. And then he says, what we do is we put off the old self with its practices and we have put on the new self. Some of you work, um, you work heavy manual labor jobs. Maybe you're working a pipeline or maybe you're working in, um, in um, coal mines or whatever it might be, and you come home from work and you are filthy. And your wife will go, no, 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 you're not bringing that in my house, right? What she's saying is, whatever's on you is not getting in this house, right? I don't want to clean up that mess from this house. So you go to the basement and take your clothes off. And what do you do? You go down, you take, strip off, and it's just filthy, right? You, you take off the old and you put on the new. And what Paul's trying to help us understand is that, that when we're when we are leaving our old lives, we have to strip our old lives off because God doesn't want us to carry any part of that old life into the new. So we strip it off, we take it off, and then we put on our new selves, our identity in Christ, who we are, who we're becoming. That's what we put on. And it says that it's being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. We take on the likeness of Christ. Verse 11 says this, here there is no Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, fl- slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. And we've talked about this a while back, but just to revisit last week a little bit, one of the things Paul was talking about is, hey, this division in the church between people who are, are non-Jewish believers and people who are Jewish believers. And the Jewish believers think you've got to adhere to the Jewish law, that you have to basically convert to Judaism to become Christian. And, and Paul was trying to work through this with them uh, because there was a divide. And he said, okay, I want you to understand something. Because of the blood of Christ, here in the body of Christ, here in the church, there is no longer Greek or Jew. We lay those identities down. He said, there is no longer circumcised or uncircumcised. And this is representing the, the Christian establishment, the, 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 the old school and the new school, the free. And he said, there is none of that. All that's gone. Barbarian, Scythian, these were both classes of people. The barbarians were what they sounded like. Scythians were nomads that were really, they were unwelcomed in normal society. And he said, these are people that, that we don't even see that. Slave, free, and he says, but Christ is all and in all. So what he's saying is, here in the body of Christ, here in the church, we don't see your skin tone. We don't see your gender. We don't see your political affiliation. We don't see, right? Let me, can I make a whole list of stuff that divides us? And what Paul says is we don't see any of that in the, in the body of Christ because the blood of Christ has covered us. That's what's really important. So what he says is, is we, we walk past that. We ignore that. We just understand that we are one in Christ. So what he says is, but Christ is all And so he's referring back to what we've talked about through this whole series, that Christ is preeminent, he is supreme, that he is all we need in this world. So he reiterates that Christ is all, and then it's a play on words a little bit, and he says, and in all. And this is hard for us to understand, because we go, well, wait a second. 
I'm a 41-year-old Caucasian man. We all know Jesus would look like me, right? I got a beard, of course. I like sandals, right? Well, of course he would. He looks, he looks like me. Well, no, he, he looked like me. He was born in Arabia. He spent time in Africa. He looked like me. No, he looked like, right? We have this image of what Christ looks like. And what Paul is saying is, you're all wrong. Christ is in all. The, the person you think couldn't be a Christian, Christ is willing to, to dwell in them. The person that you're at odds with, Christ wants to dwell in them. He is a perfectly acceptable dwelling place for Christ. We go, well, no, they, they don't look the right. They don't act right. They don't, they don't dress right. They don't meet our standards. They, they're the wrong nationality. They're the wrong skin tone. They're the wrong gender. And Paul just says, no, no, no. Let, let me make something very clear. In the house of God, there is none of the dividing lines. This is what he says in Galatians 3.28. He's reiterating this idea. He says, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you all are, you are all one in Christ Jesus. He, he takes all the dividing lines and he erases it. He goes, okay, now here we are. We're all one in Christ. All the differences, they don't matter. Remember what we talked about heavenly versus earthly? We get so focused on earthly things that, that we lose our spiritual or our heavenly impact sometimes. Um, so this last week, Tuesday, election day, I uh, picked up my oldest daughter from school and there was a, a boy that goes to our youth group and goes to our church that needed a ride home, so he got in the back seat. We're driving him home. I said, how was your day, Pastor Mel? I said, my day was good. Caleb, thanks, man. How was your day? He said, it was good. He says, today was election day. And I said, it was. It was election day. He said, uh, I can't help but notice. He said, did you vote today? And I said, I did vote today. And he said, I can't help but notice you're wearing a lot of blue. <laughs> I said, I am. That's right. I am wearing blue today. And he said, uh, can I ask why? I said, sure. Yeah, you can. I said, there's, there's symbolism behind it because um, it symbolizes something to me. I'm wearing blue because this morning when I woke up, um, I was looking for a clean shirt and I found a blue one and I put it on. <laughs> And it represents my, my lack of desire to look beyond my blue shirt. So I put on my blue shirt. That's what it represents. And he, he kind of laughed. And he said, okay, well, well um, you mind me asking who you voted for today? And I said, yeah, you can ask if you'd like. I don't mind. So well, who'd you vote for? Like, well, I didn't say I'm, answer. I'm not answering you. I'm not telling you. I'm it's none of your business who I voted for. And he said, well, how come? And I said, well, here's why, Caleb. Because at the end of the day, I'm not called to, uh, to propagate my my beliefs about politics. I'm called to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with people who need it. And I said, so if I told you today who I voted for and why I voted for them, what if you disagreed with me? And because you disagreed with me, you, I might forfeit the right to be able to minister to you because, because our politics are different. And so I said, I would rather set that aside and not even worry about it because I love you too much and I want to minister to you. I want you to know more about Christ than about whatever candidate I happen to vote for. 
And I said, does that make sense? He said, yeah, it makes sense. And here's, here's what the problem is. So many of us are far more intent on letting people know what our politics are than, than who our Savior is. We're far more intent on people knowing what we're against than who we're for. And I believe that in the church, and, and I'll be more specific, in this church, we should be a place that, that is safe for people to walk in who look and think and act a little different than we are. That they can walk in the door, and it doesn't matter who they voted for. It doesn't matter what color their tent skin tone is. They can walk in here and feel comfortable and loved because they're a child of God. Christ is all and in all. That's hard to do, isn't it? Some of you are on social media right now, and you're getting frustrated about some of the things you're seeing on social media right now. I'm telling you, it's a daily battle for us to lay things aside, for us to say, God, I'm not going to walk in offense. I'm going to walk in love. I'm not going to look for a fight. I'm going to look to be a peacemaker instead. That's what we have to do. In Colossians chapter 3, I will, thank you, thank you. <laughs> Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 says this, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. So what Paul says is, hey, here's what you put on. You take off the immorality, you take off the, the slander and the talk and all those kind of things, and here's what you put on. Compassion and kindness, humility, meekness, patience. We're, we're patient with one another. We love each other through stuff is what it's saying. And then it gives this command. It says, as the Lord has forgiven you, you must also forgive. And the truth is, it's hard to forgive, isn't it, when we've been hurt. Um, but what we see, even if you divorce yourself from biblical truth, what we see psychologists say is that it is good for victims, even victims of abuse, if they can get to the point where they can uh, be gracious, maybe not in the presence of their uh, abuser, but if they can have a graciousness in their heart toward their abuser and learn to forgive their abuser, they will be healthier for it in the long run. And so we see this in psychology, and what we see is it's a biblical truth for us, that if we can simply say, God, help me to forgive, even when I've been hurt deeply, even when I've been disappointed, even when somebody has let me down, help me to learn to forgive them, then we will be healthier for it. We will be better off for it. And this is what you have to understand. Forgiveness doesn't automatically mean reconciliation. See, reconciliation requires two people. Forgiveness requires one person. The other person can hate you forever, and you can still forgive them. God's not saying you have to be reconciled. What he says is, if you can be, that's, that's the goal. You should be reconciled if you can be. But if you can't, forgiveness is the command. <laughs> Some of you have gone through bitter divorces. And I'm telling you, I know it's hard. I know you're heartbroken. I've sat with people that are walking through this process and they go, why can't God change their heart? Why can't God save my marriage? And at the end of the day, reconciliation requires two people. And if there's one person who says, I'm not interested, then there's nothing the other person can do. Right. So some of you today are heartbroken. You've been betrayed by somebody that you thought you were gonna spend your life with and I'm telling you today, as hard as it is, God commands us to forgive, not for them, but for us, so that you can heal, so that you can become who God wants you to be, so you can take the next step. Forgiveness isn't about putting the relationship back to the way it was. In fact, many times it's impossible to restore the relationship to the place it was, but forgiveness is all about saying, I'm not going to carry this weight with me any longer. I'm, I'm releasing someone from a debt that, that 
they are released from and we can move forward and be okay. So my challenge to you today is forgive even when it's hard because it's been commanded of us. Colossians 3.14 says this, and above all these put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. See, it doesn't matter if we do the right things, if we're not doing them in love, because uh, love is what? It's, it's like the bow, it's like the, the ribbon on the wrapping paper that keeps the wrapping paper in place, it binds it together. Let's be honest, scotch tape really, right? <laughs> that binds it in place, but the ribbon makes it look good. So love is more like the scotch tape. Can I say it that way? It's what holds everything together. And if we do things, even if we do the right things, if we do it with the wrong motivation, we do it without love, then we are wrong. Verse 15, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. I'm not going to spend, I'm just, I'm almost done, but man, uh, when I read this, I was so convicted because so many times in my life, I will take the, the peace of Christ, and I will take that out of the way so I can let something else rule my heart. I'll be in a difficult season or situation and I'll have worry or fear. I'll go, hey, hey, peace of Christ, you come here. I, I'm going to sub somebody in for you. And I put in worry. And what happens is that worry then directs my heart, it directs my actions, it directs my thoughts. And as a result, um, it is what's ruling me. But when I allow the peace of Christ to sit on the throne of my heart, and to direct my, my feelings, my emotions, my actions, everything is healthier in my life. Um, it's easier for me to extend the benefit of the doubt to someone if I've got the peace of Christ ruling in my heart. Because I'm not worried, I'm not afraid, I'm not anxious. I can trust God. And it's a simple reminder to let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let me read verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And in verse 17, we'll close with this. It says, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father through him. Next week, we'll talk more about verse 17 and how our lives are an act of worship to God. And just what we do is worship, not just what we do before we preach, but, but our whole life is an act of worship, even our work but this passage in verse 16, it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you. And um, this last week, a young man, he's a uh, younger guy, he's a newer believer. He came by my office and we talked for a while and he just said, Mel, I got to be honest with you about something. I struggle, I struggle to, to pray. I, don't, I have a hard time praying sometimes. And I said, hey, I got to tell you something. Sometimes I struggle to pray. And his eyes got big, and it was almost like, I don't know if I can come to your church anymore. <laughs> like, what? And I said, I think everybody struggles to pray sometimes. It's not always easy. And it's just a conversation. I said, tell me about your prayer life. What does it look like? And it was kind of the stereotypical. Well, I just, you know, dear God, and, you know, there's this idea that it's got to look a certain way, and it's got to be a certain way. And I think we have this idea that you, you kneel by your bed at 530 in the morning, and you clasp your hands, and, you know, it's got to you got to pray in the King James for whatever reason. And, you know, henceforth, Heavenly Father, thou art great, right? That's not how, so he described his prayer life to me. and go, whoa, 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 let me, let me help you with something. Um, that's hard to do if you're a new believer. And I said, what do you enjoy doing? He said, well, I mean, I really enjoy taking my dog for a walk. And I said, well, okay, that's a great place to start. And I said, get some earbuds, put on some worship music, and, um, and just go for a walk with your dog. And I said, you don't have to say 
you know, all these words to God. I said, it's more about being in the presence of God and just having an awareness of God. I said, so go for a long walk with God. Just begin to talk to him just like you would a normal person. Just thank him. Just, man, God, thank you. Thank you for this day. Thank you for my dog. You know, thank you for my job. And just begin to talk to him. And I said, let me take some of the pressure away. So, okay, that's great. And so we talked through that a little bit. And then he said, um, I got to be honest with you, I'm also struggling to, to, to read my Bible. And I said, he said, I know that's how I grow, but man, I'm struggling. I don't know how to do it. And I said, well, tell me how you're doing it. And he said, well, I just opened my Bible and I start reading. And I was like, okay. Well, and I said, I, I get that. And I said, but that's hard to do. And I said, are you understanding very much of it? He goes, no, nah, I'm struggling to understand it. And, and so I just, I need to figure this thing out. I go, okay, listen, I, I get that too. Sometimes I struggle to read the Bible because has anybody in here ever read Leviticus before? Like, that junk is hard to understand, right? Like, oh, it's difficult. And so I just said, man, I get it. And let me give you some tools. Let's talk about what this needs to look like. Because I said, at the end of the day, it's more about intimacy with Christ than it is just checking this off your list. Because I said, if you're not understanding what the Word of God says, then aren't you just checking it off your list? And he said, yeah, I am. So I said, here's some tools. Here's some resources. Here's some things you can do. Let's break it down. Here's some studies you can do that you're not just going to read four chapters of the Bible and hope you get something out of it. But you can do a study on fear or on worry or whatever it is, and it can help you with where you're at now, and you can get the Word of God in you. Because this is what it's all about. What, what Paul said is, let the Word of Christ dwell in you. And this is what I would tell you today. This makes the difference in us when the word of Christ is in us. It gives us strength. It gives us the ability to overcome the enemy when he comes against us. He tells us who he thinks we are, and we remind him of what the word of God says about us. But we can't do that if the word's not in us. So this is what I'm telling you today. Get the word of God in you by getting in the word of God. And you can listen to your Bible on the way to work. Did you know that? You can take the YouVersion Bible app, and it'll play the Bible. It'll read it to you if you don't like to read your Bible. That's okay. You need to find ways to get the Word of God in you because it will make the difference in you. So like, as we've worked through this passage, we've gone a whole bunch of different directions. But one of the things we see that I think is really important is Paul's talking about relational health. He's really talking about um, being able to walk with people who are different than us, walk with people who believe differently than us, walk with people who uh, look, feel, all those kind of things different than us so that we can be one in Christ because that's what the blood of Christ has done. And so my challenge to you today is quite simple. Maybe there's somebody you need to forgive in your life. Uh, before we can forgive like we should, we have to understand that we need to be forgiven like we should. And that begins with Christ. So if you're here and there's relational conflict in your life, um, I, I would love for you to start with Christ and just say, hey, Jesus, forgive me, make me right. And today, I believe that Jesus is here and he wants to make you whole. He wants to make things right in your life. He wants to forgive you for everything you've done in your life. He wants to bring you home, not to condemn you. That's what this is about today. So I want to give you that opportunity. I'm not going to embarrass anybody or bring them forward. So if you would, bow your head and close your eyes all over this room. God, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you for the people in this room. Thank you for the opportunity we have to be reconciled with you. That God, um, even though we have done stupid things, we've been a part of stupid things and we fail, Lord, you love us anyway. So God, I pray that you would help us recognize your beauty and your grace and your, your love for us. And I pray that I would draw us to you. Lord, I pray for the here, those that are here that don't know you. Lord, let them recognize your beauty today. And I pray that that would be all they need. That they would be drawn to you today. Lord, I pray for those that are here that, God, there's issues in their heart with groups of people, with different ethnicities, with different um, the different genders, God, I pray that you would help us see in the body of Christ, we are one in you. 
that there is no hostility between groups any longer, that it doesn't matter who we voted for, it doesn't matter what color our skin is, at the end of the day, we are one in you. So God, remind us of that and help us to love people the way you love them. Now, with your head bowed and your eyes closed, I just want to ask if you're here today and you say to me, Mel, you know what? I'm not really serving Christ. I'm not really in relationship with him, but I want to be. I need his forgiveness today. I need to be reconciled to him so that I can get some relationships right in my life. If that's you, I'm not going to embarrass you or bring you forward. I'm just going to pray with you right where you're at. I believe that God can minister in your seat right now to you and he can change everything. So if that's you, I'm not bringing you forward. I just want to pray with you where you are. So if that's you, would you be bold enough to slip your hand up real high where I can see it? You can put it down. Thank you. I see you in the center section, sir. Thanks. On my left, ma'am. Thank you, sir. I see your hand on my left. Yeah, a couple of hands on my left. Praise God. Who else would join these and say, pray for me, Mel. I want to make Jesus Lord of my life today. Thanks. Over here on my right. Praise God. Praise God. Just a few more seconds. Anyone else want to join these? Thank you, sir. I see you. Yeah, on my left. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Yeah, thank you on my right. I see you, sir. Awesome. I want everybody in this place to pray this prayer with me out loud. Say, dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. And thank you for paying the price for my sins on the cross. From this day forward, my life is yours. Use it for your glory. Help me be reconciled to all man. Take away any biases I might have about your people and help me love others the way you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we give God a round of applause today for what he's done in this place? Now listen, if you prayed that and you meant it, I just want you to know I'm proud of you. I'm excited for you. And we want to help you take another step in your faith journey. So we would love for you to take just a moment. It'll literally take you one minute. Take the card out of the seat back in front of you. On one side it says need prayer. On the other side it says salvation. If you'll simply fill out the side of the card that says salvation and drop it in one of our offering boxes as you leave today. There's two in the back of the room, one in the balcony, one outside these east doors. In the next day or two, one of our staff is going to reach out to you. We're going to help you connect with opportunities. They're going to help you grow in your faith. And some relationships are going to help you as well. If you're watching online or you're here in the room but can't reach a card, you can simply text the word salvation to the number 555-888. When you do that, we're going to reach out to you. We'll help you take the next step in your faith journey. Here's what's going to happen now. The worship team's going to lead us in one more song. While we're singing that, the prayer team's coming up to either side of the stage. And they're here to pray with you about whatever may be going on in your life. And then in just a moment, when we're done singing, the, the Pastor Todd, our worship pastor, is going to come and he'll close us out and dismiss us. So why don't you stand to your feet all over the room. Let's worship together one more time before we go today, guys. Uh, I hope you have a happy Veterans Day tomorrow. Make sure you hug a vet. Let them know you appreciate them. But guys, I want you to know I love you more than you know, and I'm so honored that I get to be your pastor. God bless you guys.